Welcome back to the Comics Course, an offering of Miskatonic University's remote education program, offering Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History, through a podcast form as a public service to the world. I am your Professor Hamby, along with our resident Yahweh expert, Rowan. What? Say hello, Rowan. What? What? You're, you're the one that said that there was, you know, like sweet, legitimate Yahweh out there I should read. Yeah. So you're our resident Yahweh expert. Okay. I mean, it's it's not, you know, a uh, uh, something I would personally claim fame to. Um, but, you know, to each their own. I'm not judging you. I'm judging people. Um. <laughs> Actually, I checked. You were the one claiming it. I wasn't claiming fame. Well, I'm claiming it for you. But you're the most qualified here. I mean, so, I mean, you're our resident expert, right? Okay. All right. For those who don't know, Yahweh is Boys Love Comics, which uh, I, I've tried a few out of and didn't care for. Um, but Rowan has given me some titles that at some point I'll check up on. But this week what I did was I found an evening where I was chilling out and I actually just decided to read random manga just for fun. Because part of what I want to do through the comics course here is teach people to love reading you can't actually teach people to love reading. Either they do or they don't. But I am a believer that everybody has stories out there for them. So I'm going to share with you some of the works I read one night, the ones that I'm not going to continue reading, the ones I am. And we'll just, you know, see what you think. Maybe some of these will click with you. I will give you evaluations based on a combination of what I think are objective criteria and my own personal taste. But you may feel differently, and I'll try to give you information to come to that decision on your own. And remember, it's okay to like crap. It's okay for something to be objectively bad and still enjoy it. That's all right. Okay? So, let's jump into this. The first one I'm going to talk about is The Splendid Work of a Monster Maid. The cover got a little bit of eye draw from me because it pulled the eye in. Lots of purple, some spotlights of red. It's a cat girl maid. It's very pretty. It is. It's pretty. I like cat girls and I like maids. You know, I think they're tropes that are kind of cute and sexy. And so long as they're not handled in a, you know, painful, cringy way, I'm perfectly happy to see in a book. But I am also always concerned because they are so popular as tropes that they're in pretty cringy works a lot of the time. Yeah, I tend to avoid it because they tend to be in such cringy eye-roll work. Yeah. Now, this one opens and we basically find out she was born a cat. She grew, developed the ability to turn into a cat girl. Her mother was dead and she was taken in by an ice witch. I love this art style. Yes, I really like the art style too. And in some ways, the art style is kind of old school manga. The art style kind of throws back to the 80s and 90s manga a bit, which I like, mm -hmm. you know. Um, art styles now, I mean, just to be honest, a lot of art styles now are much simpler because they want to make it easy to publish on the web for phone reading and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, in, in which case detail gets lost mm -hmm. or can become muddy. So the days when they did the art purely for print and they could get that extra detail is pretty nice. Now, this is a cat girl maid with two tails for some reason. 
one thing that is encouraging is that her outfit is not highly sexualized. Yeah. She does have a waist cincher. She has petticoats. It's clear the place is in some disrepair. Her stockings are torn. But she doesn't have a giant bust. Nothing's showing a bunch of skin. Her curves aren't emphasized. And indeed, as the story goes along, it's not sexualized. Yeah, it's not fetishy made outfit. No. Now, during the course of it, she has new maids that come in to help her learn how to be a maid because we discover she's kind of incompetent. She loves her boss, the Ice Witch. We find out the Ice Witch stole her power from a demon prince when two demon princes had a fight. These are all, all very, very familiar tropes mm-hmm. for people that follow manga and anime. Yeah. And then, of course, it turns out the Ice Queen is evil and wants to trap the cat girl in her little prison of icy-held servants where she has the past maids and the maids that came in are working with the demon prince who was treated poorly to recapture all of his magic all very old tropes um i like the art the art is fun i like that it's not an automatically sexualized in fact there's no fan service in this first volume at all no fan service at all which is so rare as to almost be well not almost it is shocking and it's Mm -hmm. so right but it, the tropes are so old. This super powerful demon prince that shows up as a small child. Uh. You know, the war between two demon princes that left one with their power stolen that has to be recovered. I just... It, it doesn't work for me. The story was so flat that even though I liked the art, I just... I'm not going to read any more volumes of it. So what do you think from what you've seen of it? Has potential, but definitely showing some red flags. Yeah, the splendid work of a monster maid. But I love the art. I, I love the art, too. And I think based on the art, I'm going to give it a four, a five. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's right in that middle range on a one to ten scale mm-hmm. or zero to ten scale. Um, yeah, I'll do a zero to ten scale, uh, although I have a hard time imagining anybody hitting a zero. I, I think it's right in the middle. It's a five. But I'm not going to read more. I'm just not... It, it hasn't caught me. Yeah. And there's so much manga out there, it needs to catch you on the first few right. pages. But if you're just an absolute sucker for the cat girl made tropes, and you want something that isn't about fan service, and you just want a sort of cute cat girl learns to be a badass story, then it might be for you. The next one was one that I was... Pretty sure I wasn't going to like, but, you know, if you avoid things that you're confident you're not going to like, but you don't actually know, then you never open yourself up to some new opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one's entitled The Honey Blood Beauty and Her Vampire by Toma Fuyoyori. Now, the art style, as you probably notice, is an art style that I personally think of as kind of uh, uh, popularized by the mangaka circle Clamp. Yeah. You know, the the sort of tall, thin merger of Japanese and European features into these, you know, statuesque characters. And this world turns out to be one where there's a small number of humans who have honey blood and is super desired by vampires. And vampires are a normal part of the population. And this one guy who's a powerful vampire is selected to watch over this one 
Princess Honeyblood, who he serves. And, and, and there are some jokes made. I, the one moment that I found really amusing in it um, is when this younger vampire is threatening to eat the Honeyblood, to uh, drink her blood because he's losing control. And her protector vampire is pissed off. And then he threatens basically to kill him. And the student body starts yelling, uh, Rutaro-kun, looks like he's about to kill someone again. Someone call for a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not bad. I mean, it's obviously kind of draws on the romance tropes. You know, the highly protective supernatural male who worships the feet of this spoiled girl who has reason for being kind of spoiled and out of touch with things. Um, and, and they do art panels where, like, gazing at her feet up her leg, and I'm just imagining a manga artist sitting there going, I hope she steps on me. Um, Gollum, Gollum. Um, I, I di it did not leave me with an interest to read more than the first volume. It, it was very flat, and... It did not make me interested in the characters. Mm -hmm. What do you think from looking at the art? The art's okay. It feels, it kind of feels very mass produced, like you could see it in almost anything. It does not have the same quality as Clamp, in my opinion. Oh, no, no, no nowhere near it. In fact, if anything, Clamp is more minimal and more expressive. Yeah. I mean, Clamp could draw five lines and break your heart with them. Yeah. Um,. It it feels like a very it feels like you would find it in any webtoon for teenage girls. Yeah, it feels like they sat down at an editorial meeting and said, "Let's check off the boxes." Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have soul to me. Now, in some ways, it objectively is pretty decent. I mean, the art is good. It's got the tropes there. If you like these sorts of tropes, this will work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't work for me. But I, I think this is, is probably one that the people who like this genre of, uh, you know, female romance manga will like it. Yeah, yeah. But it's not anything original. Yeah. Okay, now we get to one that I just... Oh, I thought this was awful. This is like a two or a three. It's called Might As Well Cheat. I got transported to another world where I can live my wildest dreams. Uh... I, I'm not even going to flip through the art on this one. You can just judge it by its cover and you'll be judging it correctly. Uh... Um, art by Buchayu, story by Moon Moon, uh, character design by Kei Mizuyuri. I mean, yeah, this was created by a group process. Um... As, I don't know, a page filler for some magazine. Um, it, it's an isekai, isekai manga. The guy dies because he's a construction worker, hits the ground, wakes up in another world. The god gives him power to make potions so he can make money. And rather than doing anything noble, he spends all of his time going to brothels. Of course. And I kind of knew that was the premise going into it, but, you know, you want to see if something interesting is being done with this. Mm -hmm. Nothing interesting was done with this. This was and pure... And the whole Tonkoban. This was pure fan service from the artist and writer. Pure fan service. For There's the... a couple of amusing scenes where they mix things up a little bit because they 
you know, they, they want a little bit of dramatic up and down. But it is exactly as stupid as it sounds and exactly as shallow as it sounds. Uh, to avoid making it pornographic, uh, rather than show explicit sex scenes, he imagines himself at battle with these sex workers he hires in the brothels. They thought they were clever by that, don't they? It, and it's just bad. And it's... I don't think the art was particularly good. The story was awful. It's like a two. Okay, already getting red flags in this cover. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is the night cartoonist and her orc editor. We're moving on. The original by Endoso, uh, who did it as a light novel, I think. And then the manga art by Takafumi Sato. I, I have to tell you, I was pretty concerned when I saw this cover, too. Now, describe the cover to our listeners so they can understand why you're concerned. Do I have while to? While I pour a shot of uh, teaching whiskey. God, how to describe the cringe here. Um... Well, there's an orc on the top. <laughs> not, not the most relevant part that drew your attention, huh? It's the... The cl- the classic night outfit, but instead of having like the, the the armored pants, it's a skirt dress, and instead of having a top, her boobs are completely out, with her hands covering where the nipples would be. Yes, barely. And she looks concerned. Yes, which she is. And it looks very cringy, male gaze fan service that always pisses me off. Yeah, I. I, I don't mind fan service. I, I I think you're more sensitive to it than I am. And I understand why. I'm not criticizing you for My that. issue is the crazy fantasy of anything involving women was something that would be completely fine with a guy. I, I'm not sure I follow you entirely there, but... I, I mean, in terms of they fetishize things that they don't with male characters? Yeah. No, and, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I, I'm fine with fan service because I think it should run in both directions. I think you should have fan service... Uh, for female characters, for male characters, if it's appropriate to that work. Mm-hmm. Um, here, I do feel it got a bit out of control and forced at times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of fan service. But as much as the female main character is shown falling out of her armor a lot, there's also a lot of super buff orc guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a little bit of fan service for those who like the male form, too. Mm. But not a lot. But our story opens up in this typical fantasy world where there's an orc, and you can see he's buff. I mean, look at this guy. This guy looks like a contestant for Mr. Universe, bodybuilding competition. But this face kind of looks like a pig. Right, because he's an orc. And he's reading a manga, and we find out that basically knights and orcs are mortal enemies. And as he's fighting these knights, he thinks, I am so sick of this. All I want to do, my only dream in life is to be a manga editor. And then we find out that within a year, he was able to find a wizard who teleported him to our world. So it's a reverse isekai. Fantasy characters are coming to our world. Mm, And he's working as a manga editor after working his way up the field. Nice. Good for him. Then one day, a woman shows up at the office, a female knight. And as you can see here, she's in full body armor. Uh, There's no boob not, window or anything like that. Not cringe. And she instinctively starts to attack him. He's like, ah, what's going on? And she goes, 
sorry, it's just I have a reflex at this point. My name is Annalise, and I wish to become a manga artist. Would you please look at my portfolio? <laughs> I know I attacked you and all, but... <laughs> so she leaves her job as a knight, and she... The ongoing gag of this is that her adamantite armor reduces magical and mental damage. And it's a metaphor for her sort of emotional strength. Mm. So when she gets bad news, she constantly talks about killing herself. To which the orc editor is uh, is often like, cut that out! Stop it! Mm -hmm. There's nobody's killing themselves! Pull your shit together, woman. But her armor explodes because... The criticism is just so hard for her to take. And an ongoing... And, and so we have many of these scenes, like this one, where, for example, he says, For a new cartoonist, I think your old-fashioned art style is kind of a non-starter. You may want to spend some time researching more modern styles. And then her armor explodes, because, you know, this criticism is hitting her hard. And so we get this fan service, where basically she's naked except some word panels and debris covering up a few essential bits. And this keeps going as the series goes on mm. and until she starts toughening up and becoming more professional. And then the armor maybe becomes cracked and eventually she doesn't need to wear the armor anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yes. Do, do they do fan service? Yes. Is it silly? Yes. Do I think they put it in this more than they need to? <laughs> yes. It's very cringe. I think it's moderate cringe. But I actually kind of appreciate the metaphor that the armor represents this emotional endurance. It's about creating art. And the story is not great. The art, as you can tell, is only so-so. I mean, what do you think of the art? Feels very mass-produced, generic. It, it is. Um, I will tell you, though, the plot has some heart to it. Now, it's only three Tonkoban, and it's complete, so it's not a super long-running series, and it has some real heart to it. I mean, for example, there's a scene where she comes back to bring a new manga submission and says, I brought a healer along today so I can take as much mental damage as you can dish out. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as it goes, you get to see these scenes where, you know, Annalise, as a beginning manga creator, is trying to figure out how to do things. Where does she need to put her time into? Which backgrounds does she not need to do more detail on so she can get it done in time? You know, there's a whole lot in here about actually how you make manga. And there's some act- when it gets into those parts, you can tell there's some real heart in here and love for making manga itself. Mm-hmm. And so while the book itself, I think we'll probably earn maybe a five on the lower end of completely average. I I think that heart to it bumps it up to a six. Maybe even a seven. But definitely not higher than that. What do you think? Mm, Sure, I'll agree with that. it's, It's not impressive. And honestly, if you're not interested in the background of things, if you're not interested in sort of pulling aside the curtain and you know, reading part of this as a commentary for how the manga industry works, I'd just skip it. I don't I don't think you're, it's worth it for anybody to read without that stuff. If you're not interested in that stuff, I think it goes down to like a three, maybe a four. So the next one is A Witch's Printing Office, story 
by Muchinichi and art by Yasuhiro Miyami. The cover Miyama. is so cute. I know. And the cover grabbed me right away. There's five volumes of this so far, five Tankoban. Um, I've only read the first. I think I probably am going to read the others. When you look at it, my, my first thought was somebody wanted to remind us of a Studio Ghibli art style. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like Ghibli art, but more modernized, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. And then when you open up into the coming pages, you know, the classic JRPG hits you hard in the oh, face. Oh, that's cool. But it's beautiful. Um, I will go ahead and tell you, there is no fan service at all in this. Other than... And this is very slight. There's one character who's a female sorceress who is ridiculously well endowed mm-hmm. um, with a top that seems to defy physics. Mm-hmm. But she's actually not present a whole lot, and the art doesn't fixate on her chest when she's around. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no real fan service, and it is also an isekai story. This girl is originally from our world, where she was a mangaka uh, and helped organize Kamaket. Now, do you know what Kamaket is? Uh, I've, I think I've heard of it, but I don't really know much about it. Kamaket is the premier comics event in Japan. Mm. They have several a year, and they're where both established manga artists go and companies, but also... It is the place to pick up Doshinshi, oh. which I think I've said this on the podcast before. Doshinshi does not mean adult or porn comics. Doshinshi means amateur made. And in ja- Japan, Doshinshi does not just refer to amateur made comics. It refers to any amateur made products. So amateur indie channel video games are Doshinshi or Doshin made. Um same for music and other things. It's just the amateur indie market. If you, you can take the word doujin and pretty much substitute it for indie and you'll be safe. In the West, weirdly, we've adopted doshinshi to mean adult amateur. Well, actually, just kind of adult comics in a way. Because I see people refer to adult comics from Japan being published through professional channels. And they're referred to as doshinshi here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which... No. <laughs> um, the generic term for adult manga would be hentai manga. Mm-hmm. Generically, not doshinshi. So, she, she is an organizer of Kamaket, which, have you ever heard the stories about the absolute chaos of, like, people descending on San Diego Comic-Con? Uh-huh. Imagine that, like, Multiple times a year for Comic Cat. I think that's where I've heard of Comic Cat from. Yeah. So she decides to set up a publishing office to print spell books and spell tomes and organizes Magicat, the first magical tome selling, you know, conference event in this magical world. <laughs> <laughs> and so. A whole bunch of stories in this first volume involve the absolute warfare of putting on this event mm-hmm. and the absolute chaos of it, um, including one. This is the close. Uh, by the way, I stopped on a panel where this guy is summoning a succubus, and this is the closest to a lewd scene that we get in the whole first volume. And it looks more like it's making fun of scenes like that than it actually is. being Absolutely. serious. 
And in fact, the guy summoning the succubus, because they're going around and checking people's spells mm-hmm. to see if they violate any rules for being sold at the event. Because mm-hmm. they're kind of selling copies of them the way people would sell copies of manga at mm-hmm. comic Cat. Uh-huh. And he says, I know currently it's a prohibited spell, but that's precisely why I must take this opportunity to show everyone the wonder of forbidden magic. And then they just slap a shut down sign on his page. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, address our concerns and we may allow you to relist it. <laughs> um, and you can see here, like, here's a panel of the witch with the, the, the large bust walking around. It's not particularly emphasized in the scenes or anything. No, she's just drawn like a normal character with big boobs. Right. Uh, if anything, there's a humanoid fox character that gets more fan service when people constantly are stopping and like, oh, can I rip your ears? <laughs> <laughs> but that, it's a fun little series. I um, love the art. The art is solid. The story is solid. You grow to like the character. Um, her, her name is Mika, uh, what is her last name? Uh, Kamiaya. And some chapters actually focus on other characters. Like one is this knight who's assigned with a battalion to help organize the event and protect people. And by the end of it, he's like, that is the most glorious battle I have ever been in. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just so thrilled and looks forward to doing more of these with her. Um, I, I, you know, I found the analogies about running Kamaket fun in the same way that I did the manga content in the night cartoonist and her orc editor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found the story pleasant. I'm going to read more of this. I only read the first Tonkoban so far, but I'm going to read more. And I think I'd give this a six, maybe a seven. I'd say a seven for how good the art is. Okay, we'll go with a seven. And I'll read more and at some point report back on it. It's always nice to open a manga and actually see that the art is the same inside as the cover. Yep. So, another series I'm not going to read past the first volume. Miko Sinri's A Kiss with a Cat. Hmm. Again, it has that sort of faux clamp art style. Um, And the, the premise here is that we have the typical sort of everyone sees her as an ice queen, but she's not really kind of female character. This has come a lot more common in the last few years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, at one point, she's, you know, it's like, why are all the boys like this? Why won't any of them talk to me? And the other female characters say, well, they all see you as an ice queen. We think that uh, they want you to step on them. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, ew. Now, there is a boy there and named uh, Nico something. I don't remember. But it's easy to remember the Nico because that's cat in Japanese and it's a part of his name. Mm. And she gets upset when like, she drops something at her desk and he's walking by and he ignores it. Now, later, outside, she finds this cat just wandering around. This big, tubby, you know, cat. And she picks him up, and he's very docile, and lets her play with him. He looks so tired of her shit. And then he gives, she gives him a little smooch on the lips, and turns into the boy from class. And we find out that he has what he calls a condition. A condition? I have a condition. And whenever he gets a kiss, he turns back and forth. Mm. And it can be from anyone or anything. And 
he has the ability to summon cats and get kisses from them to facilitate his change. Mm. But obviously, if he's like indoors somewhere, unless there's a window open, he's going to need a kiss from the humans. Mm-hmm. But when she kisses him, he turns into a naked guy sitting there. Which, of course, freaks her out. Yeah, as anyone would be. Now, he decides that she is now his owner. And when she interacts with him in class, and he with her, people start asking what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because he's always been super aloof to everybody. And he just looks at them and says, well, she owns me now. I'm her pet. To which people, her friends, look at her and go, wow, we didn't think you had it in you. Go, girl! (laughs) Which I love. You're like, respect. You step on that boy. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's not like that. <laughs> and of course, the ongoing joke here really is that he behaves the exact same way as a human that he does as a cat. Mm-hmm. And all the behavior that she finds so adorable as a cat, she even makes an Instagram for him, dedicated oh. to him. Um, but all those same behaviors that she loves as a cat... She finds annoying as fuck as a human being mm-hmm. and drives her nuts, uh, which I find the concept amusing, mm-hmm. but the story didn't have legs to me. Mm. But I, I think, but I did think it was okay. And I think for people more inclined to this sort of, I, I, I'm sorry to put it this way, it'll probably offend some people, but to me, bloodless romance. Mm. You know, it, it, it does. It feels like a bloodless romance. Mm, that's sad. R- romance should be about passion and emotion, not and, and, and feelings. And mm. even if you have a ambiguous future romance, which is very common, um, you you still want to feel not be annoyed by the characters. You want to sympathize with them. Th- this is made to make you annoyed with the characters. Oh, that's sad because the concept is cute. I like the concept. I don't like the characters at all. That, that makes me sad. So I'm going to give it a six, and but I'm going to throw in it the caveat for people who just love cat stories, who love this sort of romance, um, who love the awkward romances where you don't have to be emotionally invested. It's probably going to be a great story. I can see this having a strong audience of people who like it, but not my taste at all. Mm-hmm. I suspect it has a definite market... Amongst young women, though. Now, my favorite of the bunch, and I and I was worried about this one. The cover scares me. The title was is cringe. Uh huh. That too. The, the story and art is by Miyako Miyahara. Mm-hmm. It's called "I Can't Believe I Slept with You," and it has a somewhat provocative cover of a girl on the floor with glasses, her shirts kind of spilling open a little, and then there's this like white-haired girl over her. And that's what we get for the cover. So what, what, what do you think so far with just the cover? With the title, cover art, and it being a Yuri, all scares me. So, so your immediate instinct is, this is going to be nothing but cringy fan service, right? Uh, male cringy, male gaze fan service. Gaze, not gay. Sorry. Even gay guys like boobs, the same. It's universal. Um... Well, I'm happy to say that, yes, there is some fan service in here. Here's a little more on the inside page. That's okay. It's, it's not... doesn't feel super weird. I, I don't think any of the fan service in here is, like, super weird. Mm-hmm. 
Because I don't have a problem with fan service. My issue is, is when it's in Yuri's, it normally feels super male gays, lesbians, right. fetishy. And th- there's a thin line here because there are times the male gaze is also a female gaze. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are aesthetic elements that bi women and lesbian women also like. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we have to be careful just because it is something that would appeal to the male gaze mm-hmm. doesn't automatically make it exclusive to the male gaze. Yeah, I know. There, there's a careful line to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, in our opening pages, what we see is somebody's walking around with a little accounting ledger. Mm-hmm. That ice is really loud on the mic. <laughs> Sorry. Um, somebody's walking around with an accounting ledger. And says, this is the landlady speaking. I'm here for your rent. And one of the characters is hiding behind her door. I can't afford that anymore. And the landlady says, we can work something out if you do me a favor. What do you need? I'll do whatever you want. And then the landlady is like, I want you to go to bed with me. Mm-hmm. What? And then we skip to the next morning. Mm-hmm. Where... Our main character literally falls out of bed, buck naked, but mm-hmm. covered up by a shirt. Mm-hmm. Realizes the shirt is too big for her. Mm-hmm. Wonders where it came from. And goes, why am I dressed like this? Then looks around and sees the landlady in her bed. Mm-hmm. And is like, what? And the landlady wakes up. What are you doing? Uh, I should be the one asking that. This is my room after all. You don't remember last night? And they show a picture of a bunch of empty beer cans. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night? And we find out this is Chiyo. Chiyo Kaduka. 24 years old, unemployed, three months behind on her rent. Mm-hmm. Her savings are gone. She spent what little she had left on beer. And she ended up sleeping with her landlady. And then she goes, uh, <laughs> say... I, I don't remember anything about last night. Look, look I'm into men, so... Uh, and the landlady goes, Said you'd do anything I asked. Everything that happened had your consent. Do you regret it? I can't tell you how much. So the landlady's like, basically like... <sighs> Damn street women. And she says, well, you agreed to my terms. I'll help with the rent situation. How about a deadline extension on payments? Uh, I don't have a job. That won't work. Uh, I thought you worked for a video game company. Um, I quit. So she puts up this chart that I don't know when she had this thing printed. <laughs> she came prepared. It says, this is our rent reduction agreement. Rent is 70,000 yen per month, and you owe me three months. Seven times three is 21, so 21 squares. Now, she not only has this printed with rent reduction agreement and has 21 squares on it, but has, if you look closely, it says, Kaduko Chiyo-sama. I mean, she, she has a very... She likes this girl. Mm-hmm. She's basically referring to her as a goddess. Mm-hmm. All of which is the, the girl is oblivious to. Chiyo's oblivious to everything. Mm-hmm. And so she says, whenever you do me a favor, I'll mark off a space. Each space counts for 10,000 yen. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Sign with your signature stamp here. Uh, what do you mean by favor? Oh, that's easy. For example, if you satisfy me sexually, I'll <laughs> mark off a stamp. Mm-hmm. 
And then Geo's just like, she's merciless. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've done the setup here because I wanted to give the setup. Mm-hmm. But as things go on, Chio does not automatically become sexually interested in her. Uh, and one of the problems they face is that the landlady can't just let her live there for free. Mm-hmm. So the landlady has an apartment that's given to her. Mm-hmm. So what she does is she rents out her apartment and moves in with Chio. And that, and basically uses Chio's apartment as her rent-free one. Mm-hmm. So Chio doesn't have to pay rent. Mm-hmm. But she does need to catch up on what she owes the landlady. Because mm-hmm. basically the landlady's paid her rent for her for three months. Uh-huh. And they're an odd couple. Chio is a slob. So the landlady comes in and is cleaning the apartment. It turns out she's a good cook. She takes care of Chio. And it becomes clear... She has a major crush on Chio, mm-hmm. the nerdy little slob, mm-hmm. and she keeps marking boxes off as Chio does good things and nice things, and it's very clear that this emotional relationship is growing between them. Mm-hmm. Now, typical to uh, this sort of Yuri manga, we don't know if it'll ultimately work out. Mm-hmm. Yuri manga is notorious for the ending will be whatever the writer decides it to be. But it's bittersweet, and it's well-written. And yes, it has a cringy grab-your-attention title. It has a tiny bit of fan service, but I've been flipping through this. How much have you seen that you would really consider fan service? Only a little bit, and the ones I have seen didn't bother me at all. Right. And when it happens, there's a lack of detail. hmm So, I've really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more. The first Tonkoban just came out. The next mm-hmm. one doesn't come out till June. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love sweet Yuri romances with odd couples, mm-hmm. and I like that this isn't pandering yeah, to any group in particular. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm down with this. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think of looking at it so far? It looks very cute. Yeah, I mean... I feel like this could have very easily gone very fetishy very quickly. Oh, yeah. But based on the way you've described it in the panels, it doesn't feel fetishy. And I don't think it is. I mean, there is some physical contact. There are some scenes where there's a little, is something going to happen here? But, I mean, that's common in these Yuri manga where, mm-hmm. um, I mean, frankly, a common trope, and this in- includes the series, is the Yuri manga where one girl is very unclear on her feelings, mm-hmm. especially as they start to evolve. Mm-hmm. And that's the case here. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel fetishy or unconsenting. No, not at all. Not at all. So this is this was my win out of them. Um, most of these series I only read the first Tankuban on. I did go ahead and read all three of the Night Cartoonist and Orc Editor because mm-hmm. there were only three total. Uh, but of the others, I'm not going to go back and read more except for Witch's Printing Office. I'll probably continue reading it. And I look forward to reading the next volumes of this one. I can't believe I slept with you. Mm-hmm. The art is also very cute for this. It is. And cute art is critical. You know, that balance between cute and sexy art, I think, mm-hmm. is important in a fun Yuri, will-they-won't-they-get-together yeah, kind of story. Yeah, yeah, So, there you go. I will provide links for these in the show notes. And I hope people enjoy them. For my fans who like Yuri stuff, definitely. I can't believe I slept with you. For people who just like fun isekai manga, a witch's printing office. Um, for people that like 
the behind the scenes manga kind of stuff. Maybe the night cartoonist and her orc editor, as well as a witch's printing office. For those who just want, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill, predictable romances, I think A Kiss with a Cat and The Honey Blood, Beauty and Her Vampire both add a supernatural element that can be fun. Mm -hmm. And the splendid work of a monster maid, just for those who love the cat girl maids and those sort of mindless adventure stories of beat up the monster of the week and reclaim the magic they stole kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there, all of those are worth reading for somebody except Might As Well Cheat, which I saw somebody recommend and I now want to slap them. I think that deserves a block. It, maybe so. I, I, it, 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 it is a story that I think will only be enjoyed by the kind of people who need to go outside and touch grass, as your generation would say. Serious touching grass. Serious touching grass. Um, which would be different from touching themselves, which I think is all they've ever done. So, we're going to leave it on that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we'll be back next week. Our off-main episode next week, if I get around to writing the notes for it, are going to be looking at the intellectual as a superhero archetype in 20th century comics. Something that really got it started in the 19th century, um, with with some popular magazine literature and built up to an archetype that really is, in my opinion, fairly unique in the 20th century. All right. And, and has caused people to recast historical mythological figures. I mean, for example, we now associate intelligence with wizardry. But once upon a time, wizardry was more about making packs with demonic figures. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about that then. For now, keep reading comics. Bye.